First Corinthians eleven twenty nine to thirty three. By the way, I do want to you know just introduce you know, ¿Cómo es, cómo es su nombre? Adrian. Andy, Andy, Andy just came from Dominican Republic. He's Christina's husband. All right, so we want to welcome him. He's been here for about about a month, como un mes, como un mes. He's been here about a month, and so please um, make him feel welcome. You know, let him know that, you know being away from the family is, is never easy, right? And from a young country, so but we, we're glad to have him. Estamos contentos que usted con nosotros, okay? You know, so le damos la bienvenida. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and, and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Father, we pray this moment. We thank you for the word. We thank you for... You've given us something that we can sink our teeth into, sink our spiritual teeth that will really enlarge our understanding that you, by the Spirit of God, you, you give us revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and this is the moment that we, we just turn our focus to the Word of God, turn our focus to the things of the Word that you have tr uh, taught us and that we, you, you would just reveal Jesus Christ to all of us. Strengthen my body, strengthen our minds, strengthen our ears, strengthen our hearts. Let this be a profitable time. Let this be a, a time that we can grow, a time that we can just delight ourselves in Jesus Christ and, and, and just delight ourselves in the word as one who has found great spoil. And so bless this moment, bless this time. Bring honor and glory to your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So let's just quick some review, and then I'll give you a moment to, um, and if you have any questions, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give a couple of minutes to do that today too. So what we've been saying that to experience the goodness of the house, we, we have to learn to discern the body, the body of Christ. We need to you know, discern for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning. And what we said that this idea of discerning is an awareness, a conscious awareness of that the ch church, by virtue of his union with Jesus Christ, that the, the church is separate and distinct from every other thing, and it really possesses a unique and special privilege before God, right? Um, and then secondly, we said that when we fail to discern the body, when we fail to discern the body, um, there, is, there is this idea of judgment. There is this idea that we become weak, we become ill, and some have died. And so, so Paul really teaches us that um, this, this matter of discerning the body seems to have, seems to be very, very important, you know, that, that, that I can become weak and ill and even die if I fail to discern the body. That's, that's the reality. You know, I'm not exempt from that. And neither are you. you know, so, we, so, we, so we want to understand what does that mean. And so we, so we began to ask the question, what does it mean to discern? What does it mean to discern? And we said that, the, first of all, that to discern is an ability. For, you know, it's an ability, uh, you know, as opposed to just an activity. It's an, act, an ability. Exodus 31, 3, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And, and hopefully as we develop this idea of uh, discerning, we're going to look at ability more in, in light of intelligence and understanding. But we'll, we'll leave that for later. Now, second of all, we said that to, to discern is not just an ability, it's a spiritual ability. It's something that comes in a spiritual sense, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, 15, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the only way, the only way to really, um, to weigh. And then thirdly, we say it's not just an understanding. I'm glad to do the mind because to discern refers to a mental ability. And, and I, I'm glad that the Lord is bringing us into this. Because we're going to be talk, talking a lot about the mind in the next few weeks. We want to understand what is this thing called mind and how is that important for you. So it's a mental ability. 1 Corinthians 3.12. For behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning mind. Giving you a wise and discerning mind. 
right? So that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall want, nor shall one like you arise after you. So this idea of the mind, we are living in, you know, you know me by now, and I like to figure out the most of things, right? But we are living in a time in the history of the world. Laura always laughs when I say that. But in the, we're living in, a, in, in the history of the world. There has never been more mental illness than we have now. The, the, does you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah it's, um, there, there are very, there's data to actually, to, you know, to, in, and especially in the U.S. So the mind, our minds have been tremendously assaulted over the last 50, 60, 30 years. Have you guys, I have spent time, hours, trying to understand why. I'll sometimes go and pray, Lord, I want to understand this issue of mental illness. What is going, what, what does this mean in light of your word? What are you saying to us? But our minds have been assaulted, right? Uh, a mind, and I believe every mind has been assaulted. It's not just re relegated to a few. I think that there is a real assault on the mind. And, and so, and you're, and you're finding things that traditionally you would never hear in the church. When I was a kid, you never heard of a pastor committing suicide because he was depressed. Never. Some of you old folks, have you ever heard of a pastor committing suicide when you were younger? Now? A few times a year. So, so, so there, this is a big problem, and, and that's why I believe, that's why I'm glad that we're looking at this problem because I do think we need help. We need biblical help. You know, lest we fall prey to our mental mind or the assault, you know, we, we're not better than anybody else. So, so, so what, is, what is going on mentally in our society that we are not able? And, and, and obviously there are things in our, in our culture that clearly shows you the effect of that. I do believe that the transgender issue is a, is a spiritual issue, but the mind is messed up. <laughs> like we can't reduce it just to a spiritual issue. It's, if someone tells me that this is an elephant, I'll be like, okay. You know, it looks like a fan to me. But you say it's an elephant? Is that a mental issue? So, so, so we see in our culture clearly, you know, this issue of mind and mental is a massive issue that is really destroying us little by little. You know what's, you know what's interesting that I've noticed? When I was a kid, people would talk about aliens. Now, who talked about aliens? It was that neighbor of yours that was just like creepy, right? And he talked about aliens. Oh. I had, a, I had a tenant, James, you know, James, <laughs> James, my tenant, you know, he was like, I, when I first met him, I said, hi, I'm the land, new landlord, <laughs> and he just was so nice guy, tall, older man, maybe in his 65, 67, hey, I'm the new landlord, you know, ah, very good, very good man, you know, um, you know, you know he was like, and we got along well, and then all of a sudden, he points to the TV, hey, did you know that they're watching us? Oh, yeah, they're watching us. Who's watching us? All the aliens. Totally serious. Of course, me, in my comical bent, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I start to laugh. <laughs> like, I was like, you serious, James? Yeah. Very Everybody knows that. <laughs> well, guess what? The other day, watching Fox News, CNN, they're talking about aliens. Our society is losing its bearings. Now what was fringe, what was isolated to like a, a couple of, you know, people, whatever you want to call them, now it's becoming mainstream. What I'm just saying is that something is happening in our society. How about conspiracy theories? That's crazy. That's another, that's another one I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about conspiracy theories. Why is it happening now? Why, 
Have you guys talked to people who are just consistent too? It's crazy. It's just really, and I've said, Lord, what is going on? We've never seen anything like this before. People that will believe certain narratives, but you know that they're not based on reality. You ever heard people say, oh, the Twin Towers was a sabotage by the President Bush. I got so angry the first time I heard that because I was there. And you know my story. Oh, no, the planes never, the planes never, you know, the planes never happened. I was there, buddy. I saw a grown man cry. You know, it's like, where did they get this stuff? Conspiracy. So, so, so there's something going on, right? Something is distorting our reality, and it's coming from every angle. It's not just the people who are clinically depressed. It's not just people with anxiety. It's, it's, it's from every angle. Our mind is under assault. We don't know what's real anymore. We don't know, we don't know what's true. What do we fight for? All this woke stuff is destroying us. Division. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on. And a lot of it's just a breakdown of what's rational, logical that God has given us. So, so, so I, I'm glad that we're entering into this, um, into this idea of the mind because the more I've been studying it, I've said, Lord, I'm so glad because there are questions that I have. Why is there such an assault on the mind and what, what is going on? So... I felt it was an under, I, th I think to understand the mind properly, I, I felt it was necessary to begin to at least lay a foundation to understand the heart. Because oftentimes, you know, there is these two faculties, let's be honest. The heart and, and the mind are two primary faculties in, in, in man. The question is, it's hard to know the divisions, the distinctions. It's hard to know that some people, in fact, say there is no distinction. It's all one. And so, you know, and there's good reason for them to think like that. So, 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 so what is the heart? What is the mind? So, so I'm, this is not a, a, a complete comprehensive understanding on the heart, but I want to understand the heart from the Old Testament point of view. So what is, what is the biblical understanding of the heart? And, and the first one is in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the heart is the source and center of the life of man. So that, the heart in the Old Testament encompasses a lot encompasses your entire being. So your heart, you know, keep your heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence. Be very careful. Make sure that you, and this still applies, by the way. The Old, New Testament does not overrule this. This still is true. Keep your heart with every, every, every ounce of strength. Make sure, don't just give your heart to anybody. Don't just, like, keep your heart. It's amazing. A lot of, a lot of especially women, Young girls, they give their heart to whoever. And like, whoa, no, you're, you are a precious pearl. And if, if, if this loser wants to, <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you, you're like, not show me the money. <laughs> and if he, if, he walk, if he pulls out a $100 bill, you say, you walk away. He's got to put $3 million, $4 million, $2 billion. That's how much you're worth. Amen? Yeah, I mean, girls today are just so, <laughs> I'm like, you are so precious. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow springs of life. All that pertains to life comes from the heart. So guard it. Don't give it to anybody you want. Don't allow your heart to be attached to things that are going to hurt you. You know, um, guys, girls, right? Woo. You know, you gotta you gotta have a question. You you have a, you should have a game plan in relationships. First of all, this guy, this girl must love Jesus more than I do. <laughs> that rules out ninety nine percent, right there, <laughs> right there, right. He he must love Jesus Christ more than anything that I've ever seen. Is that pretty high? There should be a, a, a tangible evidence love of Jesus Christ 
So yeah, so the word flow means the starting point. For from it is the starting point of the springs of life. So it, it, it's, it's, it's the, the heart is so important. From the, old, the source of the inner life from which flows desires, thoughts, intellect, understanding, feelings, emotions. This is Old Testament. This is, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is like, this is how it presents it. It presents it primarily, primarily uh, as an issue of the heart. The man is a heart, uh, is a heart and, and, and that's what the man is. They're not, as I said, um, there's no real Hebrew word to define the mind. So the mind, um, you, all we could do is, is translate and the translators can can maybe look at the context and say, I think the author here means mind, but there is no Hebrew word for that. There's no Hebrew word for mind. So you, we just got to work with what, and that's by God's design. God felt, you don't need to know, you just need to know the heart. Now, now that, that's actually pretty smart, and there's a reason why. But then, but, but then, we'll, get, um, the, but then we'll get into um, um, the idea of the New Testament in the New Testament, the heart is the moral foundation of man. All right, so, so, so you, in the New Testament, you're going to see a little bit of a distinction. Um, um, the, the heart will now become a, a moral foundation. Remember we said morality has to do with right and wrong. The good person, Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So it's a land, it's kind of foundation that produces good, produces evil. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure of his heart, produces evil. So, 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 so the New Testament will, will pick up where the Old Testament left off, but will begin to nuance the heart as having moral priority and foundation. So, so the heart, as far as the New Testament, um, it, it is going to have priority. And, and morals are defined as principles or standards of, that govern what is right and what is wrong. And we said last week, moral principles are established by God. They're not established by your feelings. They're not established by what you feel. All true moral principles are fixed, established in God, and they're, they're never changing. And God created you and I as a moral agent, which means, number one, right, we are a moral agent. You should know this about yourself. God created you. You cannot escape this. You are a moral agent, a moral person. You are, right, that's how God wired you. Um, so that, what does that mean? It means that you have the ability to discern what is right from wrong. Romans 1.19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So whether you, you cannot, you cannot make excuses. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. You did know. And on the day of judgment, you will know. You will know exactly. There will be no ignorance on the day of judgment. We are moral beings. We have a conscience. God has given us a conscience, and we're able to discern what is right, what is wrong. Secondly, it, it also means that you have responsibility to God. That means that you, right? That means that God has um, authority over you, and you are responsible to God and to God alone. Exodus 20, right? I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. He is the Lord your God. Paul says on that day, every tongue will what? Every knee will what? Bow. And every tongue will confess. And, and they will not say, go Mets. <laughs> they will say, right? What they will say? Jesus Christ is what? Lord. On that day, every single knee will bow. Every single tongue. Not a single person will, will, will be like, well, no, nah, I refuse. I refuse. I'm going to hell, but I won't say it. No. Every one of you is going to be like, oh, wow, he is Lord. He is Lord. Wow. <laughs> you know, you're going to bow. And I don't think you're going to be like reluctantly bowing it. I, I think you're going to bow down. I, I think you're going to be like, oh, this is pretty awesome. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to help. I'm going to revel this moment. Yeah, well, you're awesome, God. You, you, you are Lord. I think that's what it's going to be. And then be thrown into the lake of fire. You're gonna, every person will bow and recognize and acknowledge, whoo, this is magnificent, God. Every person. <laughs> so you, when you go to hell, you're going to be, I'm a dummy. <laughs> what a dummy. <laughs> it's like, what a magnificent person, right? So, yeah. And thirdly, a man is held accountable. A man will be held accountable. There's a day coming. 
Matthew 12, 30, I tell you, Jesus says, I, whenever, whenever Jesus says, I tell you, he's telling you. You better pay close attention. I tell you, on the day of judgment, there's a day of judgment, folks. You will, our, a man is appointed to die once and then the judgment. We're going to be judged because we are moral agents. That's the way it is, right? People will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word we will give account of. So how, 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 what are some ways that, um, that the New Testament writers describe the heart as the moral foundation? What are some ways? Okay, here's, let me go through this list quickly. We covered this last week. The heart is the, um, the place of the moral spiritual darkness. So we see that in Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the darkness is the issue of the heart. Secondly, the heart is the place where the light of Christ shines. So this is um, 2 Corinthians 4 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown where? Knowledge of the goodness. 5.5, five. hope does right? The heart is the place where God pours his love. Look at Romans 5.5. Five. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The heart is the place where the spirit dwells. The heart is the place, Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So it's also the foundation for relationship. And then the heart is the place where Christ dwells, Ephesians 3, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. All right. Quickly, I'll give you five minutes. Any questions about anything that we've talked about so far? Any questions? You don't have to have a question, but if you do, this is, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Remember, for clarification, anything, anything, that, anything that you can think of. All right, let's go out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's fine. Sometimes I get my I get uh, sometimes I have I have I go up I, I just don't know how to phrase it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. Think about it and then let me know. That, that that's that's okay. This is make me surprised sometimes it's hard to arrange things in a, in a logical sequence that really satisfies the the the, the desire to you know the question that you have. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Um, now we're going to look at the mind. So this, this will be, um, um, we've been looking at the heart. In the Old Testament, the heart is kind of like the, the source and center of, of life. In the New Testament, the heart becomes this foundation, um, this foundation for morality. Um, and so we can, there's a lot more that we can say about the heart, but my real focus is to consider the mind. And so today we'll, I want to ask the question, what is the New Testament understanding of the faculty of the mind? And where, where does that, um, how can we begin to make a distinction? Now, what we find out from the New Testament writers is, um, as you, yes, this has to be studied, and it has to be clearly, that the, the New Testament appears to develop an understanding of the mind that is not separate, but distinct from the heart. So the mind now is a, is a, is a distinct faculty that is operating, that is distinct from the heart, right? Um, and, and this is um, clearly picked up by, uh, providentially by God's grace and God's sovereignty. What we find out is that um, in the Greek language, which, which, was the, which, which, which was the common dominant language at the time of Jesus, now God ordained that, God ordained that Greek 
would be the dominant language when Jesus was here. You, and the question you have to say is, why is that? Is that just, I think it's very meaningful. Everything, um, he, God ordained that Roman Empire would be ruling the world at the time of Jesus Christ. You, why? Why the Roman Empire? Those are the questions that are good because God raised up the Roman Empire and said, this will be the empire that will be in power when my son is born. And, and can anyone give me an idea why would God do that? Why would God raise up the Roman Empire? You know, a little bit, yeah. No. Kelly? Yeah. So God raised up, the, the Romans were really cruel, more cruel from history teaches us, more cruel than any other empire. Cruel, brutal, merciless. So God chooses to challenge the best that the devil can come up with. The Roman Empire. I'm going to bring my son, and he's going to come when you're brutal. Now, of course, part of it is the brutality of Jesus Christ's death would be adequately provided by the Romans. He doesn't want to pick a weak empire. He wants to pick an empire that really is brutal because his son has to die. Does that make sense? So Jesus is going to absorb the brutality of the Roman Empire for your sake and for my sake. Amen. So all of these things are, are useful. Now, in, in God's providence, Greek Greek becomes the dominant language and culture during the time of Jesus. Greek now will introduce, um, and I do believe that, that in all of history, God is at work, even in secular history. Greek will accommodate the distinction between the mind and the heart. In fact, Greek will introduce a separate word for the mind. And we see that in Philippians 4, 7. Philippians, it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Will guard, I, be, I believe I think I have a scripture there. Hmm? Okay, if you could bring up um, Philippians 4, 7. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. So here in the Greek, we find two words now, heart and mind. And now we have, we have, um, we can now, in the New Testament, we'll be now in the Greek, and we can now begin to um, learn. So the Lord wants us to understand this distinction um, of, of, you know, the, between the heart and the mind. Uh, and it's something that, something that I think we, we have to um, really um, Really, I'm, I'm hoping that you can get really excited about it because I think that th there's so much that, um, that we're going to learn from this. Th this distinction will be helpful not only to understand the faculty of the mind, but it will help us to understand how do we discern the body of Christ. How do we discern that? Well, the faculty of the mind is going to play a major role in that. And so, so let us grow. I mean, and here, here's, here's, but here's the most exciting part of the mind is that it's to know the mind, to know the faculty of the mind, is actually to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of what? Whose mind do we have? We have Christ's mind. So that changes the ballgame completely now. So this idea of the mind, it's not just your mind. But it's the mind of Christ. So the way, we, we, as we begin to understand the mind, you're actually going to get to understand Christ. You're going to actually get to grow in your understanding of Christ. Because all that we have to say about the mind, anything that we have to say about the mind, has its source in whom? In Christ. Connect, right? So you can't, so at the end of the day, um, you, you, you have to remain connected to the reality that we have a faculty of the mind, but that faculty of the mind is the faculty of Christ's mind. So, we, so, we can, so this is going to be extremely helpful now to begin to, at the end of the day, 
you know, uh, understand Christ. To be honest with you, if it was not for that, I'm, I wouldn't be interested. I would be just as much interested to, to study the esophagus. How many are interested about the esophagus? Exactly. <laughs> uh, why study the mind? Just want to know. Just want to know about yourself. Do you find delight in knowing about yourself? I don't. There's nothing very exciting. <laughs> I beat you to it. You still have some discovery to make. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing there. You know. I don't. I, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for this, I would not be excited about understanding the mind. But praise God that in studying the mind, we get to understand a little bit more about Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? You know, so, so let's, um, you know, we have the mind of Christ. We can begin to discover not just the thoughts of Christ, but the pattern by which he thinks. Amen? We don't discover just the thoughts of Christ, but the patterns by which God, he thinks. Amen? Because we have the mind of Christ. Do you believe that you have the mind of Christ? Amen? Do you have it now? <laughs> Do you live by that reality in its fullness? So that's why, you know, that's why when we come to church, I, I try to bring you up into the, to the glorious truths that detach us from our limitations, right? Our, our earthly limitations. <laughs> and detach them. And you, can, you can begin to experience the realities of, of what we have in Jesus Christ. We have the mind of Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that you have a spiritual seminary right inside of you? How many want to go to seminary? <laughs> you have a spiritual seminary inside of you because if Christ is in you. Amen? It's glorious. It's just, this is, that's why Paul says, hey, you have no need of anybody to, to, to teach you. Why? Because the anointing resides in you. Man, we've got to think different. That's why I'm so attacking this issue of the mind. We've got to think differently. We've got to think in a way that's consistent with the word of God. We've got to come against these patterns of thinking. Uh, uh, no, uh, uh. You know, that's, you don't find that in the Bible. You find yes and amen in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So I just want to, you know, and I believe that God's going to attack our, our minds in a good way. To really begin to change some things. And I think most believers have, you know, just have an adequate biblical understanding of the, of the faculties uh, of, that we have been given in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. And one of, that, one of those faculties is the faculty of the mind. So let us learn Christ. Amen? Let us learn Christ. Look at Ephesians 4, 20 to 21. But that is not the way you, what, learned? Not about Christ. Right? Very important. You don't mention. You've learned Christ. That's an inward reality. Amen? You, you have learned Christ. But that is not the way you learn. I, assuming that you have heard. Now, this is where there is the ESV again. Sometimes, you know. Assuming that you have heard, verse 21, not about him. Wrong. There is no about in the Greek. Assume that you have heard him. See the difference? You could hear about Christ and not heard him. Does that make sense? You could, be, you could go to Sunday school and they can teach you about Christ. You can go to church. You could go to Bible study and you will hear about Jesus Christ. But that does not mean that you have heard him. Amen? And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Amen? And so, so th this, this learning Christ is a very profoundly subjective experience. If indeed, and I, I like in the Greek is actually, if indeed him you heard. You see the difference? If, if, if you go back to verse 20, I, I love this because in the Greek, there's, it, it, the order of words plays emphasis. But sometimes in the, in, in the, to make it more readable, um, um, you know, if indeed, where, where are we at? Um, Oh, verse 21, sorry. Indeed, him can hear Christ about Christ, but not have heard him. Jesus said that those who belong to him hear his voice. Look at John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
Amen. So, so, we, so we have this, we want to hear him. And that has to do with the mind of Christ. So what specific distinction do the New Testament writers teach concerning the mind? And we'll begin with this. How do the New Testament writers understand the mind with respect to the heart? For the New Testament writers, um, the, the faculty of the mind is going to provide not a moral foundation, but a moral control center. All right, so just, you know, you could, if you want to write it down, that's fine. Um, you have this foundation um, of the heart, but then the mind will be the moral control center. And so, so we're going we're gonna to look at, at this topic. It might take us a couple of weeks to finish. The mind is your control center. This is going to be new theological territory in the New Testament. Right? So this is new. This is a new development. So the New Testament brings a lot of new things. It doesn't replace anything. It just brings understanding. There's fulfillment, right? So it doesn't say like, it's not saying that the heart is no longer. No, the heart is foundational. But now the emphasis in the New Testament, you're going to find that the emphasis that the apostles put is going to be more on the mind to the believer, not so much the heart. Now, that's interesting, right? Um, this, this, um, in the Old Testament, the primary concern by far, the primary moral concern in the Old Testament is the condition of your heart. Right? And for good reasons. When Adam sinned, the entire moral foundation of the heart was compromised. Right? When Adam sinned, when he disobeyed God, his, his heart became sabotaged, compromised. L listen to what happens in Genesis 6-5. Look at Genesis 6-5. The Lord, the Lord saw that the wicked, wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pretty comprehensive, right? Is that, is that pretty, this idea that the heart was so corrupted, the heart became so wicked before God, it was only evil continually. So what's the point in emphasizing the mind in the, new, in the, old, in the old Testament? Is there a point? Is there, should we emphasize the mind? No. Because the heart is corrupt to the core. Can you change the heart by your mind? So what's the point of having a mind? Your heart, your heart has been sabotaged. The land of your heart is full of weeds. And you know what? We got a foundational problem in the Old Testament. And that is my heart is evil continually. Does it matter if I have a, if I can weight lift 200 pounds on one arm? Does it matter? Does it matter that my IQ is uh, 533? Why not? I got a heart problem. That would be like saying you got stage four cancer, but I'm, I'm a bodybuilder. <laughs> Who cares? You're going to die, bud. You got cancer, right? Does it make sense? It makes perfect sense. We got, a, we got a moral foundational problem in the Old Testament, the heart. The heart is wicked. Who can know it? Amen? And that's the issue. of the. Uh, but the New Testament writers now come along, and they understand by the Holy Spirit that there is a new state of affairs. Praise God. Amen? A new state of affairs has been introduced by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Something has happened that has affected the heart in a dramatic way. Right? Amen? They understood that. Look what Jesus says in Luke 2, 22, 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is what? The new covenant in my blood. What I'm, I'm doing now this is the beginning of a new covenant. Something I'm, I'm, I'm introducing a new moral state of affairs. I'm, I'm conquering something.
for you. What, well, what is that new covenant? Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you, right? What? What will I give you? What is God going to give us? A new heart. How did that come to you? How did that come to you? Did you just meditate on the word? Did you pray a lot? Do you say, Jesus, 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 Jesus? How did you get a new heart? By Jesus' death and resurrection. And when the spirit comes in, he fulfills the new covenant. He gives you a new heart. The old he pulls away. He gives you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The concerns of the heart have now been forever addressed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? It makes sense now that the Holy Spirit in the New Testament will now shift the moral emphasis. The shift that we see in the New Testament is evidence that Christ has ushered in a new state of affairs with respect to our hearts. Something has changed. Now the disciples, the, the apostles, are inspired by the Spirit to speak on this faculty of the mind. We can now continue our lesson. Amen? For, for 4,000 years, we, we remained in, in kindergarten. We couldn't move forward. We kept failing, kept failing. But Jesus Christ came, changed the state of affairs, put, gave us a new heart. Now we can begin to walk in newness of life. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? It is wonderful restoration that God is doing. And now in the New Testament, there is. So pay close attention. If the New Testament writers shift their emphasis to the mind, where should your emphasis be? On the mind. But we, we, we are, well, baby. <laughs> How many, how many believers fight the right way? We'll find out. But yeah, we should shift. In fact, you're going to see an increased number of exhortations in the New Testament that relate to your mind. You see, you know, we want God. We, we oftentimes, I think, approach God as if we don't have a new heart. You have a new heart. I don't care what, if you are in Christ, you have a new heart. God's not going to repeat that again. It's done. The shift is now the mind. So what is, what is the difference between a moral foundation and a moral control center? What's the, what, what, what is the difference there? I mean, I think it's pretty self-evident, but let's, for those who may, may not know the difference, you got the heart is a moral foundation, and the heart is a control center. Um, first of all, moral foundation provides a ground, a beginning for moral agency. That ground has been provided by Christ, death and resurrection in the, in the new covenant. He has provided us a new heart. This new heart provides a strong foundation that now you can build upon. Amen? On the other hand, the moral, moral control center stands on a solid moral foundation. So, so you can't, the heart is absolutely necessary. Th that's why all of the exhortations in the scriptures for the mind only applies to the believer. Right? The, the unbeliever does not take part of this because his heart is still wicked. When Christ changes the heart, now there's renewed emphasis on other things that will now cultivate this new ground. Amen? Now you can cultivate the new heart that Christ has given you. And, and, and the primary means, the moral control says it stands up. The heart is like a piece of developed. So the mind is like, so think of like this. I thought about this. The heart is like a piece of property. And again, these, these, these illustrations, you know, they're, they're good in one sense. And sometimes, you know, they, they're well, limited. But the, the, the heart, if the heart is like a piece of property, what is, what is the mind? If, the, if, if, a piece, if, if the heart is like a piece of property, um, what, would, what, would, what would the mind be? A property manager. 
that, that's something that came to my mind as I said, Lord, give me a, you have this, you have this property, but you have a property manager, and the property manager takes care of the land, right? The, the property manager takes care of the land. If he's a bad property manager, what do you see? Weeds, trash, right? If you, got, if you have a good property manager, what do you see? You see the, gra the grass is cut, wildflowers, there's beauty, right? That, does that just happen? is the sign that, that there's a good property manager. The mind is going to be like a property manager over the land of our heart. And the Bible is going to make that very, very clear in ways that are profoundly wonderful and helpful for us developing our spiritual life in Christ. How many want to grow? How many want the, 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 our land to be beautiful, right? Well, that happens through the cultivating the land. How do you cultivate the land? Through the mind of Christ. Amen? The mind of Christ is going to be, is going to be this wonderful. He's a, he's, so God has given us a new heart, a new land, and a new property manager. Amen? And now we en we're going to enter into this property manager. Right? So that God's going to train us. Right? God's going to train us that, um, we, to, to, to maintain, to, right? to, to kind of really uh, work together with the Lord in maintaining this wonderful foundation. So... So before we begin to consider exactly how this mind regulates and maintains the moral foundation of the heart, let's look at how the, the, the New Testament writers, I'm going to give you one example, and then we'll quit, and then we'll pick it up next week. I'm going to give you one example of how the New Testament writers now, they stress the mind. And that, that's why my concern with the mental illness, mental illness is going to sabotage this work big time. But we'll talk about that later. Mental illness is an assault, I guess, I believe, against the mind. And we need our minds. We'll talk about sober-mindedness. But, but let's, look at, let's look at ways that the New Testament writers speak about the mind that reveal the mind as a moral control center. God has given us a new heart. So the issue is no longer the heart because we have a new heart in, in the new covenant. But there is going to be exhortations to exercise by faith the mind of Christ in you so that you can begin to experience, so that you can begin to walk in truly newness of life. How many want to walk in newness of life, right? Something real, so not just like, not just coming to church and, you know, just coming, I, I did my thing, I did my devotions, right? We gotta get, I'm talking about Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. How many are living life more abundantly? I mean, is that a serious question? Did Jesus fail us? He didn't fail us. But why, not, why are we not living life more abundantly? It's a serious question, right? We want to live back victorious in Christ. I do believe that one of the aspects is this issue with the mind. But look at, look at, um, look at, look at one aspect here. I don't know about you. I want to live a victorious life. Amen? I am not content at all. I'm not depressed. I'm not taking, you know, medication, psychotropic drugs because I thought I want more of you. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But I want more. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to be fruitful in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be flowing. Amen. Right? I mean, there's so much that God has. No way Jesus Christ died for this. For my love. I mean, there's more. There's got to be more. Amen. There's got to be this longing in us for more because, it's, because the glory of God, not just for my satisfaction, no. It's because God has bound up his glory with your lives. Amen? Let your light so shine before your closet, before your walls at home. We shine the light. We're in, our, in our rooms, the room is so full of light. <laughs> right? We can barely even see the bed. You know? But as soon as we come out, it's like, I went to the light. <laughs> it's like darkness, right? So, so I want to shine the light before men that they might see, oh God, the good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? As we're going into a season of outreach with the Hope Kids, I want to see God's glory. I want to see the kids really, really turn to Christ. Right? Amen? 
really broken over their sins, really feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? We want to see God. We can't be content with what we have. Amen? So let's read this. The New Testament writers understood that the matters of life and death depended on the disposition of your mind. Right? Matters for the New Testament writers, the matters of life and death was based on the disposition of your mind. That's why I want you to fight this week with your mind. I want you to fight with, with the word of God. I want you to fight because I'm telling you, don't lose sleep on this. Your mind is the control center. All right, so but listen, listen, Romans 8, verses 6 and 7. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Is what is it? He doesn't say to set the heart. The issue of the heart is done. <laughs> but to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is Hey, he's telling you, set the mind on the flesh, death. Set the mind on the spirit, life and peace. Now, I don't think he's saying here, you set the mind on the flesh, you, die, you lose your salvation, and you're going to hell. I don't think he's saying that. Look, we, we can't lose what God has given us. Truly, he has saved us. If we're truly born again of the Holy Spirit. But he's, this is what, it, what he is saying, that when we set our minds on the flesh, there's going to be death around us. There's going to be something, uh, I don't like life. There's going to be something negative. When we set the mind on the flesh, it's not productive. You don't really gain anything. There's nothing of life. Amen? Right? When you set your mind on the flesh, is what? Not just a bad time. Death. Death is like the ultimate end, right? Like it's terminal. It's like death. There's nothing there, right? To set the mind, to, 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 to set your thoughts on the, things of, uh, on the things of the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life. Actually, that word to set the mind is actually a single noun, which means mindset. Now, mindset on the flesh is death. A mindset, if you set your mind on the things of this flesh, right, the flesh is um, the natural impulses, the things that the flesh wants. If you're constantly just feeding that flesh, I'm telling you, Paul says it very clearly, it is going to produce death. Death in so many ways, death emotionally, death mentally, right? You're just going to be... You're not going to be a product of life. But to set the mind on the spirit now is life and peace. So that when we, when we set our minds, when, we, when our mindset is set on the spirit, right, there's life and peace. Amen? We set our minds, what we set our mind on will determine our moral condition. What are you setting your mind on? And these are the things that, Lord, how am I studying? What, am, I, am I studying my mind on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? This is an honest question. And he's talking about not the heart. He's talking about the mindset, the way that you think. The way that you think reveals. That's why discernment is so important. Because discernment takes the data of the mind. The data is the thoughts and can examine, right, we're going to talk about that next week, can examine the data of thoughts and can make judgments on those thoughts. You can make judgments on your thoughts. The Bible tells you you should be judging your thoughts. You should be thinking, whoa, I said I need to go to Walmart. Hmm, let, me, let me examine that thought carefully. Right? But we don't do that. Oh, let's go to Walmart. Examine it. Why do you need to go to Walmart? Well, I need, I need some I need new um, tablecloths. Okay, why, why do you need tablecloths? You know, examine your thoughts. You'd be surprised how oftentimes our thoughts 
little thoughts can just spoil the vine. And we're not guarding our minds. We're not guarding the way we think. You know, so that here Paul is saying that um, man's conscious hostility. Look, look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You know, and, and I do think that, that this can happen to the believer. Doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. It just means that you could be in a disposition of mind that really resists what God wants you to do. I mean, we can fall into that. Amen. Now, by the grace of God, God can deliver us out of that. But to set the mind, right? To set the mind on the flesh is hostile to God. It's like it's not. It's not neutral. It's not like well, I'm a neutral party. No, it, it, it it's hostile to God and. And it does not want to submit to God's law. There's this tendency. And so, so, so Paul here is telling us that the matters of life and death depend, especially for the believer. And again, these exhortations are really for the believer because we have the mind of Christ. We don't have to think that way, but there's going to be a training of the Holy Spirit, a training that will help us to take control over our minds and thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father. We're just beginning this journey of trying to understand this faculty of the mind, and especially the, the mind of Christ that we have. We do have the mind of Christ. And it's almost like a faculty that is out of sight, out of mind for many of us. But I'm asking you by the Spirit that you begin to raise an awareness there's so much that can be said about this faculty of the mind. So many people find themselves dragged by their own thoughts into feelings of condemnation, feelings of defeat, and even through the mind, producing wickedness and evil actions, disobedience to you. And I'm just asking you, Lord, for these several, next couple of weeks that we're going to be talking on this subject, that you would help us, Lord. We need your help to learn, God, to, to really, first of all, raise an awareness of the faculty of the mind that we have in Jesus Christ and how it works and how it operates and what, what's the essence of this mind, Lord, that we have in you. How can we, how can we Lord, um, begin to draw from the mind of Christ so that we get so our thinking and so that, our, Lord, our ability to discern, oh, God, can, can just uh, grow, oh, Lord, in you. And so we're asking you today, we're asking you today, to, Lord, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We, we, we're seeing our minds assaulted by wickedness. Like never before in, in our history of this world, Lord, Lord, so much access to pornography, so much access to drugs, so much access, Lord, to just selfishness, uh, Lord, and self-centeredness and idolatry. And all of that, Lord, is just a, an assault on our minds to think, to shape our thinking, to persuade us. And I'm praying for this body that you would help us, Lord, to really draw from the mind of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to grow. We're, we're not content. We want to see your glory. We want to see, Lord Jesus, your, your hand upon this church, your hand upon me, your hand upon everyone here. Lord, you have great things in store for each and every one of us. May you, Lord, begin to stir us up, Lord, in the gift of God, and, and, and that we, we would begin to, by the Lord, by the work of the Spirit, begin to really allow our minds to be renewed. God, renew our minds, Holy Spirit. And so thank you, Father, this morning. Thank you for the word of God today. Lord, I'm asking you. You know, as, as you close your eyes and, I want to give an opportunity, not to do an altar call like that, but if you feel like you, you would like us to pray, if you're having a mind battle, I want to ask people around you to pray. If, if you are struggling, just raise your hand. If you're struggling, you need prayer, especially in your mind. We have a sister back here. Um, we have another one here. All right. We got, so you see, keep your hands raised. And some of you, can you please come and um, look around you and look, let's look at, and let's, um, um, let's just pray for, let's take a moment to pray. I mean, our minds have been under assault, depression, and, and so maybe, um, Alexander, you guys can maybe, you know, get together with, uh, 
Carol, and um, played for some of these teams. And I think um, Leroy. Put your hand up again if, if you're struggling just in your mind, okay? Liz, no? Um, let's just take a moment. To, let's just take a moment to really pray. Take a moment to pray. So many people in need of mental healing, emotional healing. <clears throat> 